Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life. We are prepping for the parade with our foul weather gear, and it won't matter because it's going to be sunny as usual. Good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch, coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. I'm a little bit giddy. Boker Tov to Yoni. Morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hot enough out there for you? That's beautiful. Uh Uh-huh. It's fantastic. Because you know what? Nothing's better than getting on the subway during a heat wave in New York. So this is not a heat wave, but it'll get bad. Have you... You've experienced summers in New York, right? (laughs) I mean, I've experienced summers in Houston, so I'm I'm fine. All right. You know what? It's not the same thing. Yeah, sure. It's not the same thing. We'll see what happens in August. Yeah. We'll see what happens. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. Follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word. Miriam L. Wallach, also all one word. Let's do the fortune cookie. I'm just telling you that Yoni had three tries at this fortune cookie. First, he brought me a broken one, which is, as you know, a flag on the play. That is just wrong. But I think it was a prank to throw me off my game. And frankly, <laughs> it's been throwing me off my game. So here we go. That crinkle crackle. Should have kept with the first one. I know. Just saying. No, no, no. And I should have checked the magic eight ball before checking the fortune cookie. True. But here we go. A bold attempt is half of success. Hmm. I don't know. Jamie made a face. We're not so into it. The um, But thank you, Confucius, for your bold attempt at a good fortune. The FJB food and wine event at Nova was just the other night. It was a smashing success. I'd like to thank Simon Jacob, Jay Booksbaum, Chef Josh Masson, our friends at Herzog Wine Cellars and Royal Wines for what was an exceptional, exceptional evening. If you want to see fantastic posts, pictures, and uh, information, you can check out Elon Kornblum's post, see all about it. Mark Zomick also posted a tremendous um, amount of uh, information about it. It was a lot of fun to be at. It was a wild night. I thank everyone who made that evening possible, and I also thank everyone who makes the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting possible as well. Let's go through some national national holidays, both for this month and for today. Folks, it's National Ice Tea Month. Happy June to everyone. It's also National Migraine and Headache Awareness Month. Don't worry, Jamie and I are very aware. It's also National Oceans Month. Not sure what we do to celebrate that, but we can we can go to the Atlantic. Yoni has a suggestion. No, I'm an Indian Ocean type of guy. Okay. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> okay, that was funny. That was funny, Houston. <laughs> that was funny. It's also um, leave the office early day, June 2nd. Right, let's go. Thumbs up for that one. Um And by the way, there's a note. If this falls on the weekend, then observed on the closest weekday. Good to know, because you don't leave the office early, necessarily, on a Sunday. It's also National Rotisserie Chicken Day, which somehow or another I feel speaks to Yoni as well. I'm just not sure why. Sure. Sure? Not really? No, it's okay. Well, who knew, Yoni, that the anniversary of Hani and Mayor Furtick also coincided with National Rotisserie Chicken Day? You think they did that on purpose? Oh, I know so. <laughs> yes. Anyway, happy birthday to Mayor Kruder. That was yesterday. And a happy anniversary to Hani and Mayor Furtick. Let's talk about this Sunday, folks. Join us for our live audio and video broadcast of the Celebrate Israel Parade this Sunday, June 5th, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, only on NahumSiegel.com, together with our presenting sponsor, the American Committee for Shock. NSN will present complete coverage of the parade live from the corner of 64th Street and 5th Avenue. Be sure to follow us on social media.
media for all parade updates. By the way, it is Jamie who will be manning our social media feeds that day. So thank you in advance to Jamie. Make sure when you tweet, you give her a shout out. Hey, Jamie. I dare you, folks. I dare you. Facebook, Nahum Siegel Network. Twitter, at Nahum Siegel Net. That's all one word. And on Instagram, Nahum Siegel Network, also all one word. We will be using the hashtag together on 5th. Follow us along, as will, I hope, everybody who is on 5th that day. We, um, we always encourage everyone to be at the parade if you can be at the parade. We need to show our support of the beautiful beautiful state of Israel, as many people as possible on Fifth Avenue that day? Absolutely. But if you can't be there, show your support by tuning in. Um, Also, Jamie had a fantastic idea this year that we are happy to bring to you. It is being brought to the attention of high school and college students. We want you to remind your high school and college student at home that the NSN Next Gen Photography Contest is taking place during the parade. Let me explain. Your child needs to take a picture at the parade of something that in their eyes embodies Jewish unity, brotherhood, and the love of Israel. Then they post that picture on Instagram. They tag at Nahum Siegel Network using the hashtag, hashtag NSN Next Gen. All right, that's N-S-N-N-E-X-T-G-E-N. The winner will be made a special media photography correspondent here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and the winning image will be showcased on the newly redesigned NahumSiegel.com. So, uh, yeah, if you're noticing, by the way, in the next couple of days that things look a little bit different when you get to the website, you didn't go to the wrong place. You got to the right place. We are updating so many different things here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and our website is just one of them. So, again, our annual broadcast from the broadcast from the Celebrate Israel Parade starts this Sunday at 11 a.m., we will continue as long as the parade goes on or as long as ZK, until ZK, I should say, shuts us down. We expect to be on until 4 o'clock, weather permitting. Or come by. If you're at the parade, make sure to come by 5th Avenue between 64th and 65th. Check out our new setup on 5th Avenue. Thank you to Yoni for making sure that that all happened. And by the way, if you come by the booth, please bring Yoni some sun. I can't even say it. Some sunscreen. And you know why I can't say it? Because you jinxed me. Yeah. (laughs) You totally psyched me out with the whole fortune cookie thing. (laughs) And because you're getting back at me about the fact that you don't want to wear sunscreen. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and we are ready for our guest. It is with great, great pleasure that I welcome Dr. Michael Michael Solomon. Boy, am I having trouble with my words today. Dr. Michael Solomon, back to the program here at That's Life. Unfortunately, it is about a very, very disturbing topic, but Dr. Michael Solomon is a fellow of the American Psychological Association. He is the author of numerous articles and books. Um, He is also the senior psychologist and director of ADC Psychological Services. You can find them at psychologicalhelp.org. And he has become a trusted friend of mine on many, many occasions and many important topics. So, Dr. Solomon, I welcome you back to the program. My pleasure, Miriam. Good to be here. Thank you. So um, it is with a little bit of background that I want to introduce our topic today that um, the it seems to me, and I, I don't want to limit it to the New York, New Jersey area, that is for sure, but it seems to me that we have an epidemic on our hands, and I don't use that word lightly. There seems to be a rash in the last, I would say, seven, eight months, and you can correct me because certainly you have your pulse on this um, on this issue much better than I do, um, of a 
level of drug addiction in teens in the Jewish community that has risen to such an extent that they are that that teens are losing their lives at the hands of drugs. I think that's an accurate statement, um, and I don't think it's just in the Jewish community. I think it's uh, it's a, become a worldwide phenomenon, but it's more of an American issue in general. Um, if you look at the uh, the statistics from National Institutes of Mental Health, National Institute of Drug Abuse, and the CDC, you find that um, the rate of, of death from opioid, opiate addictions, has more than tripled. In some cases, in some states, some cities, some areas, has gone up at almost 400% oh my gosh. in the last few years. Um, and I think that's a problem nationally, but it's also a problem within our community. Without mentioning specific numbers, there's an agency that did give specific numbers um, recently. I I can't confirm their numbers. I can only confirm numbers of those that I'm familiar with. Uh, Since September, I'm aware of seven cases of young people losing their lives. Um, And I'm told that uh, since uh, Rosh Hashanah, as many as 13. Um, But that's only in the immediate area, in our immediate catchment area. So if that's the numbers for our area, then I'm sure those numbers are significantly higher if you look at the broader Jewish community. As I said, there's another agency that reported numbers somewhere in the 50s since Rosh Hashanah of people who lost their lives from opiates. Is it, I mean, there there have to be a number of contributing factors, and I am in no way inferring that one is more of a factor than, than another, but is is it simply accessibility that kids are just getting their hands on them a lot easier than than they could? I mean, is is the is is that part of it? Okay, so that's an interesting question, and and that's something that's been researched pretty extensively from, by the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, and and they have two interesting studies. One, one is that teenagers who receive a prescription for for codeine or morphine or oxycontin or Percocet or any of those opiates um, before 12th grade or through 12th grade are 33% more likely to abuse them afterwards. Um, because of their addictive nature? Because of the addictive, addictive nature of the drugs. Okay. Yes. The, the other part of this, uh, the other study is that um, roughly half of those people who ended up uh, dying as a result of opiate addiction, got their prescriptions from either a family member or a friend of the family. Um, and, and these are so available. Uh, they're in just virtually everybody's home um, because prescriptions for these medications have been wildly rampant in the last five years or so. Okay, so... Uh... Is there a step, I guess, I mean, on a very basic level, is there a step to make all of these kinds of early addictive drugs that um, have this crazy statistic, is there is there a movement to ban them from kids under a certain age to at least eliminate the potential for an addiction later on in life? Well, the... FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the CDC have recently issued new guidelines for prescribing of these medications. Or is this just a Band-Aid? I don't mean to interrupt, but am I like, am I like grasping at the wrong straw here? Um, are, are you, is, is somebody going to say to me, Miriam, this is, this is just a part of the problem, but it's not the bigger problem? 
it's a part of the problem, but it's a big part of the problem. I'm not, I, and I can't tell you how much because nobody really has a great handle on it just yet. Okay. Um, so of the seven cases that I'm aware of, um, I know four of them reasonably well, um, and three of those four have a history of abuse. They were <sighs> abused when they were younger. So that may be a contributing factor. Um, but uh, addition, additionally, um, two of them also had some sort of dental work, and they were prescribed uh, these medications somewhere around age 14, 15, or 16. Wow. So those are contributing factors. Now, this is a problem, and the government has done a lot of research into it. So as I said, the, the Center for Disease Control and the FDA have issued new guidelines on how to use these medications. It turns out that a lot of them, um, all they do is provide some sedation and drowsiness. They don't really alleviate pain that well. Um, and so the, the recommendations on how to use them have been changing. And prescribers are uh, being monitored much more carefully on how they use their medications and, and who they're prescribing them to. Now that's going to take a while to change because it's a large system and the system is not going to kick into gear right away. I think the bigger issue is um, parents are just not aware that their kids uh, shouldn't be taking certain drugs. Uh, they're not questioning enough. They're not uh, aware enough. And when these drugs are in the house, they're not putting them away, locking right. them away. Right. They're not monitoring them once they're in the house. Right. That's. I, I guess it lends to the next question, which is something that you and I briefly discussed. Um, but something I, I still don't feel complete resolve on is is whether is how are we responding as a community these tragedies are taking place and they are they're tragic whether it's my kid or somebody else's kid they're all our kids so these tragedies are taking place how are communities responding are we taking enough personal responsibility in terms of the rearing of a child that may not technically be ours but is a member of our community or are we turning you know, or, and pointing a finger at the parents and saying you did not fulfill your responsibilities you know, what's our first response as a community? What is always our first response as a community when there's a tragedy? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of responses. I'm not sure how many of them are great. Um, the first response is to sweep it under the rug, to right. deny it. And that's what's going on right now. It can't, the numbers are wrong, it's too high, you don't know what you're talking about. And it couldn't be my kid. And it couldn't be my kid. Right. And, of course, you know, the medical examiner will report it as whatever we tell them to report it as, because nobody's doing an autopsy. Mm. Um, but, you know, you speak to other kids, they know exactly what's going on. They know who's using what drugs and when and how right. and where they're getting them from. Right. And parents just don't want to deal with it. Our community is not dealing with it. And I'm not sure exactly how to deal with it unless we're not willing to deal, unless we don't deal with it correctly and effectively, which is to say we have a problem and we have to look at it. There has to be the understanding that if one child in a community has a drug abuse dependency, a, a, you know, a drug dependency problem, that that is the problem of the entire community. It's not isolated. It's that it belongs to all of us. So are there other uh, community or are, are there other community issues that can be serve that can serve as a paradigm for how best to tackle a community wide issue. What, yeah. like, I guess I, I don't mean to I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I guess in short, what have we done right that we could do it right again? I think we have to educate parents, and I have to have to really 
push that as an issue. I want to make sure that people understand educating parents is not as simply a, a factor of, um, you know, running a, a little symposium at the local shul, um, <laughs> but following up with that and making sure that parents understand what these medications and drugs are all about and how to monitor their own children and to work together with the, the schools, the yeshivas, uh, wherever the kids hang out. I mean, we, we had an issue a while back in, in our neighborhood, uh, where, and we knew where the kids were going uh, to get their, their drugs. Um, so I and a couple of other therapists in the area were in touch with some significant uh, community organizers and the police and whoever, and we, we filed a complaint about that area not being properly monitored. And uh, we pushed that a little bit, and you know what? The kids are no longer hanging there. Mm. True, that, true, they went somewhere else, but uh, if we could all get together and monitor this more, we would be a whole lot he- healthier, and our kids would be a lot better protected. But I guess before we monitor, we have to just start talking. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. There has to be that ability to speak openly and to speak without stigma and for everyone to, for everyone in any community to be able to be in the same room without somebody saying, why do you think they're in the room? That's always such an issue, right? Always, unfortunately. Right. It is. It, but again, this is all part of the, of the epidemic that brings us to this conversation today. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Dr. Michael Solomon joins us. He is a senior psychologist and director of ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett, New York. You can find them at psychologicalhelp.org or 516-596-0073. Doc, what other contributing factors are leading to this epidemic? Okay, so as I mentioned, uh, the, the prevalence, the availability of these drugs. Right. And the fact that heroin itself is so cheap, um, kids are actually shooting up more than ever before. God. Um, and, you know, there are other issues, too. There's a certain amount of stress in, in, that kids right. have right. a hard time dealing with. <laughs> Excuse me. And on top of that, as I said, I, I don't know that this is a trend, but um, there are a number of kids who have a history of trauma, um, abuse and trauma, and they just need to escape. In their minds, this is the best way to deal with it. Unfortunately, you know, if they tell anybody that they were traumatized, uh, people ignore it. They don't want to believe it. They yeah. sweep it under the carpet. And so that they, they've learned, the children have learned that it's better to just find our own way to escape the pain. And they turn to this. And they turn to this. Are there, are, are there, are the schools in various areas? And again, I mean, there, there are a number of communities that have been hit by this epidemic in the last seven, eight months. It is not, people should not assume that because um, you and I live in a particular area that we are speaking about our area in particular. No, absolutely not. This is prevalent everywhere. And by the way, and you had mentioned something that this is not just a Jewish community issue, but it is an issue at large for kids of this age group you know, regardless of religious affiliation, it it is, it is an ongoing problem. You see that in other communities and other faiths. Absolutely, we don't just treat uh, Orthodox Jewish kids. We treat all types of people in this office, and and people are more addicted now than ever before. It's common everywhere. How many situations have you seen so far where the kids have learned from what they see with their parents? Um, far right. too many. <laughs> Far too many. 
and again, it's it is not an indication of religiosity or of faith. It is just an ongoing issue that we in 2016 are facing. Look, you know, I gave a talk recently uh, to a group of young children uh, between the ages of about 10 and 12 about being safe and avoiding drugs and so forth. And afterwards, uh, this cute little 10-year-old comes over to me and says, um, I know my mommy and daddy smoke something they're not supposed to smoke. <gasps> um, and your response? <laughs> I mean, how do you, what do you do at that moment? And by the way, this is a great tip. I mean, there are plenty of educators who are listening. There are plenty of mental health professionals or just people who come in contact with other kids. There are potential camp counselors for this summer who are going to receive comments or hear comments like this and are going to need to address it. So yes, they should go to a higher up. They should go to the person who's in charge. But what do they say in the moment? What I said in the moment was, I'm glad you shared that with me. Is there anything I can do to to help you deal with that. And the kid had shrugged, and we spoke for another minute or two, and then the, the guidance counselor who was coordinating the event uh, came over and asked what was going on. I asked the child if it was okay for us to share it, and, and the child did. And um, it, for this particular family, it worked for the guidance counselor and I to have a, uh, a conference call with the parents, and, you know, without being accusatory, because they have their issues, too. Right. Um, we suggested that, at the very least, they need to make it clear to the children that it's not something that the child should get involved in hmm. and that they're doing their best to stop and keep it away from the children. Although kids are pretty smart and they pick up on what's going on no matter what. That is for sure. I always say that kids smell fear. Yep, they do. Kids smell fear. They know when something's up. They have like a heightened awareness of a dog. They just know when something's up, when you're off or whatever it is, your personality has changed. They know before you do. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable sense. What is, um, what is the next step for us as a community? And again, as, as an ongoing global community, what is our next step in fighting this epidemic? Well, there are a number of organizations out there that are dealing with it. Um, there, are, uh, there are techniques to deal with it. There are people that have to be tapped into to structure this. Um, parental education, teacher education, have to see the signs and have to work with uh, the local community to make things stop. Is there, are there like one or two telltale signs that a parent should just be on alert for? And not in an accusatory way, oh, I see this, oh, I see that, what are you doing? But, but stuff that we should be on the lookout for so that we can help a child in need? Okay, if a child seems a little bit more euphoric than usual. If there's a level of drowsiness that's not common, they seem a little bit confused. If they're complaining of constipation, if their breathing is slower than normal, um, if their pupils seem a little bit too constricted, if they're out at night when they shouldn't be and they come home drowsier than they've ever come home before, if they're hanging with kids you have some questions about, um, if they don't know where they were or they don't want to tell you where they were, those are all the telltale signs that parents should be aware of. It is so important to have an open dialogue with your kids. It is, it is crucial in so many parts of parenting. I just joked with somebody this morning that it takes no common sense whatsoever to actually have the child, but it takes all the common sense in the world to raise the child. And common sense isn't all that common. No, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Dr. Michael Solomon joins us here today. Doctor, thank you so much, as always, for contributing to the program. And um, 
for continuing to bring very important subjects and issues in the Jewish community to to our audiences. I appreciate it. Mary, my pleasure. Thank you, Doc. And again, Dr. Solomon can be reached at the seniors at the ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett, New York. You can find him at 516-596-0073 in Hewlett, New York. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network, where again, we are prepping for the parade. We are getting that in motion. I look forward to broadcasting with Nachum this Sunday from Fifth Avenue. Make sure to tune in starting at 11 a.m. Let's go through the lineup for the rest of the day so you know what to expect and what to look forward to and certainly what not to miss. The live lunch will begin in just a few moments, hosted by Nahum here at NahumSiegel.com. And of course, please comment on the NSN app. Do not miss the Sun Show at 1 p.m., hosted by our good friend, Mayor Ferdig. And at the conclusion of JM and AM tomorrow morning, at 9 a.m., it's another great presentation of Table for Two. And Naomi, I am sure, will make mention of our food and wine event from the other night. She, too, had a wonderful time. My thanks to Mark Zomik, to Nachum Siegel, and to Sandy Shmueli for turning the beat around last Thursday with their Lagba Omer celebration. And in the spirit of the Celebrate Israel Parade, let's give a shout-out to Soul Farm, the house band for the parade, with their cover of Shalom Lach Eretz Nehederet, an excellent cover of the Yeharam Gaon classic. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Yeah.
Yeah. 